Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and we are talking about basketball today. Uh, got two of my usual co-hosts here. Unfortunately, Eric Gibson, still unavailable. He is actually going to be escorting Davis and Goulas in senior night this week. So we're kind of stoked for that. In the meantime, I'm joined by Chad Markulix. Chad, what's going on? The boys are back. The boys are back. One such boy, Dan Smith. Dan, how you doing? I'm glad to be here at the emergency Jim Delaney resignation show. <laughs> um, you might have to check your And I have a 5,000 word prepared statement I'm, I'm ready to read. All right. Uh, we'll save that for a little bit later in the pod when nobody is listening. Uh, but before then, we'd that's, like right to, that's right yeah, now. That's, that's right now. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. We'd like to introduce our special guest on this episode from Yahoo Sports, our friend Sam Cooper. Coop, what's going on? Ah, this. This is what's going on right now. That's that's the spirit, buddy. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you to everyone for listening to this edition of the podcast. We are sure uh, that it's going to have a lot of stuff. We haven't done one of these since, like, December. Uh, we don't apologize because, uh, well, we owe you nothing. Uh, last time we did this, I believe, was after the not... Penn State's first two non-conference uh, games against Maryland and Indiana. Uh, a lot has happened since then. The Nittany Lions finished up conference play, got into Big Ten play. Uh, really, really sucked. Went 0-10 to start things off. Ended up getting on a little bit of a hot streak in the month of February. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But, Chad, uh, just I think it's good to kind of do the big overarching thing of it's very difficult for a basketball team to go 0 and 10 to start conference play with as many close, you know, one, two, three possession losses as Penn State had. What was kind of the big issue for Penn State uh, during that first stretch where it really seemed like this was going to be as hopeless of a season as it, there's been in the Pat Chambers era? I mean, pretty much everything was going wrong at that point. Uh, Lamar Stevens wasn't even playing that well. Um, the freshman looking like freshman. Um, Josh Reeves turned the ball over like crazy. Mike Watkins not showing up every night. Um, just not getting consistent effort from everybody. And the Big Ten's a, just a gauntlet this year. I mean, every team, you know, every team's in the top, I think, 70 of Ken Palm right now. Um, I know Rutgers is, like, straddling the line right now. Um, every team is is really good. And if you're not at your best, you're going to get beat. And that's what happened to Penn State over the first 10 games. Um, they just, you know, Pat got suspended for shoving Miles Dredd after the Michigan game. Um, that didn't help matters, certainly. And there was, you know... Obviously, lots of talk about his job, safety, and his future. We'll get to that later. Um, but, you know, there's nothing going right, and it's that's happened before in the, under Pat, um, where things have just spiraled out of control until it, it gets halted for whatever reason. One game, they turn around, and then, you know, they, they get back on their on their horse, and things start working again. But, you know, it just took too long this year, and, and 0-10 is obviously uh, pretty terrible. So... Um, glad to see they turned it around, but yeah, every, everything was just everything that could go wrong went wrong in the, over those first ten games. Yeah, and it was interesting, kind of following along at that point because you know, like we mentioned, that Maryland game they lost by you know three possessions. In the end, they lost by one possession. Nebraska by uh, two or three possessions. It, it was a lot of really close basketball games, and like you mentioned, Chad. It just seemed like there wasn't this collective kind of ability to get the job done. Everyone was just a little bit off in their own way. Whether it was offensively one night, you know, they're dropping, they're dropping fewer than seventy points in a or 
52 points in a loss to Wisconsin or defensively in the next night where they allowed 99 in an overtime loss to Purdue. It just seemed like everything was uh, a bit off. Uh, Coop, during that kind of like really brutal stretch to kick off the Big Ten, was there anything like was there anything that really stuck out as being really, really bad that indicated this could be a really long season for this team beyond anything Chad just mentioned? Uh, I don't really point to one thing as like, you know, it's just Lamar having to do everything for uh, on the offensive side. Then you got freshmen trying to figure it out. Bolton taking, you know, some bad shots. Dread was cold to start from three points. Then you got Josh Reeves, who, I mean, like Chad said, a lot of turnovers, not shooting the ball well, looked like he was pressing. And then, I mean, Mike Watkins coming off of, you know, everyone knows the story by now. Uh, Got hurt last year, missed a bunch of time earlier in the year with personal problems, wasn't quite himself. And then, you know, any time it'd be like a close game, it just felt like, you know, all these crazy things would happen. One thing, the bounce, the ball would bounce one way, wouldn't bounce their way. Bad luck. I mean, I remember, you, Bill, you talking about this earlier in the year. If you, Ken Palm has that luck statistic and they were, you know, I don't even know, like in the 300s or something crazy like that. They, yeah, they so, were bottom 340 something in somewhere in that area yeah so i don't know it just felt like what happens when you're penn state basketball like you just they just always find a way to somehow lose and then it just snowballed into an 0 and 10 start until they finally as of late have gotten on track and have resembled kind of the team that we hoped they would look like you know i mean you can never have your expectations quite like super high like i don't think any of us most years, maybe last year as the exception, go, this is a tournament team. This year we go, you know, they can compete in the Big Ten. Like Chad said, the league's tough. I mean, top to bottom, any team could win any night. So, but when you start 0-10, it's just, you know, you just got to get that one, that one win, and then finally they got that. And then finally, you know, they've started to close out some games. They've won, they've had some upsets, so... Just one of those years, I guess, which one of those years that seems to happen to Penn State basketball more than most programs. Yeah. We're still 348th in luck, by the way. Yeah. Still. At this point. still? So, yep. 348th <laughs> in luck with uh, the second toughest schedule uh, in the country. So uh, a lot of it, – it's been a very weird season, especially, Dan, kind of that first stretch. Again, 0-10 in Big Ten plays 7-14 and overall. Yeah, I think for me, and it's been touched on by both you know, Chad and Sam here, is that you, you know, you you came into the season, you knew that the backcourt was going to be an issue in some games, and certainly that's had an impact, especially you know in in the early uh, games, DePaul, Bradley. Think about those games, the youth in the backcourt, no question about it. But you came in saying you've got three guys that you can really rely on with Stevens, Reeves, and Watkins, and I think. It's less so with Stevens now. He's really, you know, come into his own as the season's gone on and is, is, is bringing it pretty much, you know, every game now. But the inconsistencies from Reeves and Watkins have really hurt them. And, you know, the, the two of them, you, you can't rely on either of them to uh, to show up in a, in a, in a significant way on uh, every single night. And you kind of needed them to with the question marks in the backcourt. And I think, uh, you know, the, the disappointing overall seasons from Reeves and Watkins are, are kind of my biggest takeaway from the, from the season in terms of, you know, where the struggles have come from. Absolutely. And, like, the thing that I found so interesting, like, 
you could say this in retrospect because at the time it was just really annoying and it seemed like same old, same old was after, you know, you lose by four points to Rutgers to go to 0-9, you lose uh, by nine points in overtime to Purdue to go to 0-10, both of those at home, Pat Chambers was kind of hammering that drum that we've heard out of him seemingly every year that he's been here, which is that we're close. Uh, We're not too far away. We are right on the cusp of becoming the kind of good and dangerous basketball team that uh, we all want to be. And in past years, that's, again, it's just been a really common Chambers-ism and is one of the reasons why I think some people get a little bit fed up with him. But it's also, if this last month or so has proven anything, it's that they really were. You go back and you look at, again, those two possession losses, one possession losses, games where it's, depending on one or two breaks going in Penn State's favor, those breaks just weren't really happening. And over this last month or so, Chad, it seems like Penn State has managed to get those breaks and it's led to them pulling out a couple of close wins and really running a few pretty good basketball teams just straight off the floor. Yeah, I mean, Pat was right all along. He he was right. He knew this was a good team. There's a good team in there somewhere, and they finally emerged. Um, too little, too late, but still, uh, it's definitely, you know, this is a team that's worth watching again, at least, um, at, the, at the very least, and knowing that they have, um, you know, Stevens, Bolton, and Dredd, and possibly Watkins returning for next year. Um, you know, if... You know, if, if the chips fall right, if, if Pat comes back, probably that's that's the big key there. But uh, and we'll get into that later. But that, you know, there's reason for optimism again, which is, you know, the bare minimum you want from uh, a coach in his eighth year and hasn't made the tournament yet. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, Dred's figured it out. I think he and, uh, you know, Stevens has been a lot better, too. He's been a lot more efficient recently um, over this, you know, winning stretch where they've actually won games. Um, and yeah, they have blown some, they really blown some teams off the floor. Um, you know, Nebraska, Maryland, that Maryland game was really especially impressive. I mean, that was reminiscent of the Ohio state game last year at home. Um, when they blitzed Ohio state, I think, I don't know what the halftime score was, but it was, it was very comparable to what was happening at the Maryland game this year. Um, you know, it's so again, you see what this team's capable of under chambers, um, when they have, you know, when they have the offense kind of figured out and mapped out in their brains, you know, they can, they know what the, and they're playing with confidence too, and they know how to run the offense. That makes a huge difference because, I mean, they've always been a, a pretty solid defensive team. Um, so I, I don't know the exact reason for why the switch got flipped so late, but um, at the very least it did. And this is definitely a team that, you know, is, is not painful to watch anymore, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, it's you. Uh, you know, you touched on Maryland. You touched on Nebraska. That doesn't include the fact that they were up by double digits on Michigan. At that, they put together as good of a half as you could really expect out of a team to put up against a really, really good Michigan squad. Uh, before again, they ended up heading into the locker room. Michigan ends up getting a bit of its mojo, but they still pick that win up. And in every win that they have had since the month of February, like you mentioned, Chad, Lamar has just played better. He has been the Ken Palm MVP in every win that Penn State has had from February 4th on. 
he's played his way into in uh, the all Kenpom.com Big Ten Conference. He's on their that first team. Everything has gone great for him. And you mentioned the performances of guys like uh, the freshman guards taking steps forward. Josh Reeves kind of figuring a few things out. Coop, I want to go to you for a sec to talk about the guy who I think we all agree has been a bit of an unsung hero during this stretch. I didn't expect Jamari Wheeler to take as big of a step forward as he has over the last month or so. But to me, I think he's been maybe the most pleasant surprise of this team. Is that? Do you agree with that? Yeah, he's he's got to be in the mix. I mean, we saw him last year coming off the bench. He was always a he was always one of those guys that kind of wreaks havoc on defense. I mean, he's always pressuring the ball. He's such a fast player, but he was never a threat on offense whatsoever. He would sometimes drive into the lane and not even look at the basket, just kind of probe and look for someone to kick it out to. But when you're not a threat to shoot at all, none of the guys on the perimeter are really going to be open. So now that he's kind of sometimes like you'll see early in games, like he'll let like he'll get a, a few uh, he'll make a few shots early in the game and that kind of settles everybody in. It makes the defense pay attention to him and it kind of gives him some confidence. So he's already confident on the defensive end and then he's getting into the lane. He can score some, but then now that he draws some of the defense, you know, you'll see if you go through his game log recently, he's had some games. He had like five assists, six assists, a couple games with four assists. So, I mean, early in the year, even though he's playing significant minutes, his numbers weren't always in that range. So once he kind of, you know, has the ability, I guess it's more of a confidence thing with him. Cause I mean, we all know he's a limited jump shooter. Like he'll hit a three every now and then, but even, he's not even going to take that many, but if he can get in, if he can use his quickness to kind of get up, you know, little like quick shots, quick layups, kind of get around the defense, surprise the defense, it opens things up. And his kind of, I guess, swagger is one of those things that kind of affects the rest of the team, especially when you got a lot of players at his position you know, especially, I guess, Razier Bolton, who's a freshman, who kind of leans on a guy who's a little older than him to kind of show him the way. I guess it kind of takes a little pressure off Bolton, too. So if Bolton come off the bench, hit some threes, make some shots, be more of a scorer, while Wheeler, even if they're not even in the game at the same time, which they have been more lately, I guess that kind of – I guess he's been sort of a, a missing link to their offense, especially when they kind of get out in transition – and use their quickness to their advantage. For sure. And I, I'm glad you mentioned those freshman guards because it, we won't really touch on Myron Jones so much. He doesn't ha- hasn't contributed too terribly much outside of that one game where he like beat Virginia Tech because college basketball is where the extraordinary comes the ordinary or whatever that Rothstein-ism is. Uh, but... It's where the unexpected becomes the ordinary. That's right. That's right. Get it right. My, Get it my, right. Listen, it, John Rothstein, if you are listening to this podcast, I would like to He's apologize not. to you. <laughs> I, I will send it to John Rothstein and have him listen or something like that. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, you look at those two primary freshman guards, the guys who have been asked to really shoulder the big load of Rasir Bolton and Miles Dredd, they aren't at a point where I think – I don't think you can rely on them to do too terribly much on a nightly basis. I mean, that's especially true for Bolton just because Dredd, with his ability as a shooter, you could throw him out there. He can You can run him off a bunch of screens. You can get him hot. And when he's able to really get going, like we've seen, we saw it against Maryland where he 
really looked comfortable shooting from behind the arc. We saw it against Nebraska. We saw it against Michigan. That's kind of a dimension that this Penn State team has struggled with uh, in past years, you know, outside of when they're able to get Shep Gardner really cooking. Then with the receiver Bolton, he brings kind of this dimension where he's able to, like he has that three-point jumper, even though it hasn't really been falling lately. He can really attack the rim. He can get to the bucket off the bounce. Again, we saw that against Nebraska. Even when the shots aren't falling against a team like Wisconsin or Maryland, when he has a guy one-on-one, he's confident in his ability to get by them, get to the bucket. And if he can't get a shot up, he will try and find those guys around him, even if that doesn't always go particularly great. Like We've seen these freshman guards. We knew coming into this year, these freshman guards were going to be the kind of guys that had to make big plays and had to not necessarily be net positives, just not be net negatives. And I think as the year has gone on and they've gotten a little bit more settled into their roles, they've done a good job figuring that out. And, you know, Bolton's really had his ups and downs. I mean, Dredd has been, when he's able to get his feet set, he's able to get a shot up. He's 17th. Uh, in the Big Ten and three-point field goal percentage. He's gotten better from deep as the year has gone on, which is kind of crazy for a Penn State basketball player. But it's been a blast watching the two of them as they've kind of gotten into their rhythms and they've been able to find ways to impact the game as the college game has kind of slowed down for them a little bit. Dan, just kind of on the whole, it's been... it, It seems like Penn State has found a way to settle in as the year has gone on, which is kind of, we, we haven't necessarily seen that out of the team in the past as Big Ten play has gone on and they've, you know, fallen off a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't recall a season where we sort of had the, a, a sustained period of success like this. They've always had uh, games like uh, some of the ones that they've had recently where, you know, they get that, you know, win against a, uh, you know, ranked team. Uh, you know, usually a couple of them at least in a, in a season. Um, but to have them all sort of bunched up like there, where it looks like you know they've they've taken that next step. I guess you could say last season, towards the very end of the season, when they went into the Big Ten tournament and the NIT, that was probably the closest comparison to sort of uh, you know the the stretch they've had since the calendar turned to February, and. Um, to see, you know, sort of as you highlighted, the the impact that uh, some of the younger members of the team have made on that, uh, guys that you know they they need to build around in the in the coming seasons uh, is really nice. Whereas last year, you know, obviously it was a uh, it was definitely some success that was really uh, you know relying pretty heavily on the contributions of Carr and Garner. And with this season, you know, being able to mix it up with, uh, you know, a little bit more from guys who are, uh, you know, going to be returning, uh, you know, that's definitely important for the team. And, you know, seeing the, the trajectory that they've been on uh, where, you know, they haven't necessarily, uh, you know, hit uh, any sort of plateau. They've they've seen, you know, good improvement over the season. That's been uh, something a little bit different. Yeah. And to the point that since the month of February began, uh, I have uh, Bart Torvik's site up right here. Since the month of February started, Penn State has been the eighth best team in college basketball. Like It's just been a very weird jump for them uh, in that we're seeing the team that we all thought to one extent or another they could be 
just maybe over a bit of a longer period and having a little higher of a high than we might have expected, especially as they had the low that was that brutal January and that brutal start to conference playing. Chad, is there any uh, any final things you want to say to kind of tie a bow on what we've seen out of the team over the last you know month or so? Yeah, just Irving just looks more confident. Um, Jamari just has been finishing a lot more at the rim, or like trying to get to the rim at least. He's always just been uh, a guy who you know gets to the into like the semicircle and just pulls it out, tries to find somebody without really having a threat of going up and scoring. Um, Bolton looks like a really uh, a player, um, looks very capable of getting to the rim, and he's very slippery finisher, uh, or at least getting through uh, defenders very slippery, getting that sense and uh, finishing at the rim. Uh, Dread just, he is a very like NBA, um, three point looking shot, uh, or looking three point shot at least. Um, just as soon as he gets his feet set, he can, he can fire, rise and fire with, with the best of them, I think, in the Big Ten. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of stunning to see that it's turnaround, but, uh, you know, uh, the question now is it too little, too late to save Pat's job. Yeah, that's, we did a good job not uh, having this conversation earlier in the year. Uh, it, it would have been very easy to have that after Bradley. It also would have been a lot easier to have this conversation um, if we decided not to go two months between doing one of these and we like had to v- vocalize our thoughts after they lost by four points to Rutgers at home. But this season, it, I don't like. I don't know, like. In past years, I would sit here and I would, you know, fists on the table saying this team absolutely, it's a year away, Pat needs to do this, Pat needs to do that. Uh, Last year, you know, they won the NIT, they were a top 20 team in college basketball. If they made it to the tournament by some miracle, they could have possibly made some noise there. Like, all of that kind of went out the window in January. Now we're sitting in the beginning of March. The team went the team is now sitting at 12 and 17 of the year and 5 and 13 in conference play. But that's also a bit misleading based on how many close losses they've had, based on how advanced metrics loves them, all this weird stuff. And you know, Dan, I'll start with you on this one. Compared to past years where it's been kind of a cut or dry question when it comes to Pat's job security, I think this year it's a bit more up in the air and up for debate than it has been in the past when it's been, here's the line in the sand, you have to say what side you're on. There's never been any easy, I guess, you know, referendum on chambers and it's probably true of really anybody who's ever coached Penn State basketball since they moved to the Big Ten um I think it it was trending in the in the direction of and I sort of uh, assumed it was going to go this way just because there didn't seem to be much uh, you know hope for you know what is what has transpired since the start of February it seemed to be heading towards uh, after the Rutgers lost uh you know a, a pretty definitive it's it's time for things to end uh, as an answer, and then you know they go on this run, and with the play of the young players, with the uh, you know 
addition of Seth Lundy next season with Isaiah Brockington being eligible. Um, you know, the you know, possibility that, you know, maybe even Lamar Stevens could return for his senior season. Um, you know, there's a strong case to be made that, you know, they, they're in a position to build on, you know, what's happened this season. And I think in a case like the one I've described where you've got these pieces coming back, you've got the, uh, you know, transferring to Brockington, you've got a, a you know, a, a, a good freshman player in Lundy coming in and then you, you bring it all home with Stevens being able to come back. Um, that leaves you in a much better position than you were to start this season, uh, you know, without Karn Garner. Um, you know, there's less, uh, obvious turnover at any specific position. Um, you know, obviously this is a moot point if, uh, Stevens is gone, but, um, you know, it's 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 something where, you know, there's there there's a case to be made there. The you know the flip side of it is, it you know you buried yourself in such a hole this season, um, and you know how many times do we go through this? And it's you know I, I'm I was there with people until the turnaround. Now I sort of think he'll be back, and I don't have a huge problem with it. Um, just because of sort of the reasons I outlined. Um, uh, I wrote a, an article that was, uh, you know, no, nobody really had any objections to it. Um, and uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, the um, uh, you know, the, sort of the point that I had there was that the alternative to Chambers um, is not uh, probably going to be something that's, uh, any more exciting, you're probably going to be starting essentially from scratch the way that they were when Chambers started, where there was really nothing left in the cupboard because I don't see a lot of the guys on this team. I don't see Lundy uh, staying committed. Uh, you know, I, I think that, I think you have a completely different roster and one that's uh, pretty barren of talent uh, with anybody else you bring in because you're not going to bring in, you know, Tom Crean. You're not going to bring in, uh, you know, the next, you know, Hurley here. Um, you're going to bring in the next Chambers. And... You're not going to have a great investment into this program any more than anybody else has had. You know, they may redo the uh, practice facility. They may, you know, get you a nice video room or something like that. They're, they're not changing the Bryce Jordan Center anytime soon. They're not, you know, really, you know, they're not going to play a, you know, a huge number of games at Rec Hall, um, you know, to, to get a, a better you know, home court advantage. Um, the, you know, and that's uh, um, something that was completely uncontroversial. Everybody agreed with it and we moved on after I wrote that. Yeah, there was no, uh, there were no people trying to say, what are you doing to say you're a Chambers apologist? There were uh, no nothing. message board yes. experts on <laughs> college athletic department fundraising to correct me and say like actually um Penn State has more money than they've ever had and more money than Michigan and Ohio State combined and uh the the, the uh, program's in the black and they could put eight million dollars more into the basketball program every season and no there was none of that and there was no responses like that that were completely uh you know invented um you know numbers that were you know in the midst of saying that other numbers were invented, uh, you know, none, none of that happened. So it was all, it was really just a pleasant stroll. And then, uh, you know, a complete positive upswing now that everybody can agree, oh, you know what? It turns out everything's good again. Yeah, it was actually the first time there has ever been a pleasant comment board. So thank you to everyone who participated. You, you love to see that. it. You love to see it. Uh, Coop, I want to ask you kind of, 
the same thing because to me it comes down to do you think that Chambers has done enough building here that he's reached his ceiling? And if you get rid of him, do you think you're starting from about the point that he's at right now or you're starting completely new? I think when you put all those things together, it's really tough. That's where I kind of lean towards keeping him. But where are your thoughts on this entire thing right now? Whoa, so, nice plug. I'm wow. contractually obligated to do that on every podcast. <laughs> they should bring that back. So what, wait, what wait, was your what was your question? Hold on, do you <laughs> time out, time out. Do you have that button or did you just like Google Yahoo? No, no, I, I have a button. Here, <laughs> I'll, I'll click it again. <laughs> That's what I got. Is that was that your like signing bonus when you got it? Was it just a single button that plays that jingle? When I, I got, don't even know. Yeah, I don't know if you call it a jingle, but when I was hired as a contractor, I got this button, a backpack, and like a pen. <laughs> that was like three years ago. I only, I still use the backpack. I still have the button. Can't, I can't tell you where the pen is, unfortunately. <laughs> so wh- what were we talking about? How about that pen, folks? Where's that pen? We bringing the pen back? <laughs> bringing that back? How about that whole deal? That's terrific. Uh, so, Coop, we're talking about Pat Chambers and his future right, yeah. and wh- th- where you kind of fall right now. On if they should keep him? Like, it, is it as cut and dry as it has been in past years, or do you think it, there's a bit of a gray area this year where nothing would really surprise you? Uh, there's plenty of gray area, but I guess my question is, like, what's the alternative? Like, what do you – like, there's no pie in the sky – like Larry Brown, like that all these idiots always call for. Like, who are they going to bring in that's going to revitalize Penn State basketball? You know, it's fucking Penn State basketball. <laughs> like, you play in the shittiest black hole of an <laughs> arena in the country. It is the worst. And Cham- like when Chambers arrived, they didn't even have, like, you walk into that place, and if there wasn't a game, you wouldn't even know they were playing. Like, they, you wouldn't even know that the team played in that arena. Like, that's how shitty it was. Like, so even like in these whatever eight years that he's been there, he's he's had to scratch and claw just to get things like that. Like they they got like a new like video room and like there's more like branding around the arena and like that shouldn't even be like you shouldn't have to ask for that. So like when you put Penn State in a in like an argument about like like you can't compare them to the average Power Five program because like, <laughs> I feel like we, we argue this in circles, but, like, it, like, it's just not, like, comparable. Like, I know people who kind of, like, follow the program at a distance don't want to hear this because they're so used to, you know, the football success. But it's just not reality. Like, they've, what, they've gone to the tournament. They went in 2001, and they went in 2011. And both of those, like, if you look at those years, like, they had to scratch and claw just to get there. Like, I think in 2001, they had a below 500 record in conference, and they had a run in the tournament that got them. And then they made that run in the Sweet 16, and everyone's like, oh, Jerry Dunn, like, great. No, he sucked, too. So, like, <laughs> so like I don't know, like, with like what Dan was saying, you have all these, like, the, they've never had, like, I would argue they've never had, like, talent from, like, one to, like, eight on the roster. It was always, like, you know, you have your Taylor Battle, who's, 
tremendous player. Then you have like a few other players who are like basically role players who would never really even really sniff a starting lineup in the Big Ten, but they somehow cobble it together to be like semi-competitive once every three and a half years or whatever. At least under Chambers, like, yeah, they haven't made the tournament, but if you look at it on the whole, they've been like, this is the bar. Like, this is what I always say. If they could be consistently average, like, that's how pathetic this is. Consistently average, that would be amazing. He would be the, he would, it would be the best year of Penn State baseball would, ever. All right, how about this? There would be a statue of Pat Chambers outside the Bryce Dorn Center. <laughs> There's yeah. never oh, been God. a problem with building a Penn uh, State coach statue. Never. There's oh, never God. Been any that would be a great idea. No, but I do think you're touching on something that's, that's, uh, that's important, which is it, it, the very chicken-egg argument over how you get there, how you get to Penn State being a different type of program, and the argument of you can't evaluate Penn State the same way that you do other programs, the coaching job's harder, you need to give them more time, and people saying, like, you do this, and that's how you stay in this level. And I do think there is some merit to that idea of if you give somebody forever to try to do this just because you're you're trying to grade them on a curve, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But at the same time, you know, it's it, it, it's true. And, and it's, so it, it becomes this very theoretical argument very quickly, which makes it very, very difficult to to argue about because you're really talking about all these hypotheticals yeah, because yeah. there's no, there's nothing to ground it in, in a reality of a, you know, a, you know, peak to compare it to, you know, it's, it's not like some other program where you're saying, Oh, you know, we just wish we could be back like the glory years of 30 years ago when so-and-so was the coaches. Like there's no such thing for Penn state. There's never been a glory years. There's never been, a you know anything that's sort of consistent like you said the peak rate you know in, in most people's minds is the 2001 run with jerry dunn and he was terrible outside of that run and so it, it is sort of a, a a weird argument to have because it, it quickly loses its footing in reality because it's all you know a, a a thought experiment into how do you take something that really has none of the attributes of what a good basketball program should be or really can be aside from being a large university with a, an active and engaged uh, alumni group. Um, you know, really have none of the other parts of what makes a, a good program, the facilities, the location, the history, the investment, you know, they, 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 aside from the size of the university and the big 10 basketball TV contract, there is nothing that Penn State basketball has going for it. It's absolutely what, nothing. It, it's it's a discussion of what do you think the program should be and what do you want the program to be and what is it. And I think those are two like those are two conflicting like things because everyone wants Penn State basketball to be a good pro. Like unless you're one of those people, one of those weirdos who like went to Penn State and for whatever reason is still like a Duke fan. Like everyone would like to see Penn State basketball do well. The issue is it's like operating within this very limited like range of what could end up happening. Like I'm on the Ken Palm history page for Penn State basketball, which considering the internet in 2019, this is a very strong statement, but this is the saddest page on the internet because <laughs> The best team in Penn State in Ken Palm history for Penn State was last year's team when it was 19th in Ken Palm. 
Then it was the 2001 team that was 37th, and then it's this year that is 43rd. This year's Penn State basketball team has the potential to be the second team in Ken Palm history to finish in the top 40 with a sub-500 record. Like, How far back does that go? 2001. I was going to say, because they're pretty good in 1996, but that's yeah. which is like... But that's, that's that, one of yeah. like four years that they've ever been good since. Like you got to go back to the A10 years, like when Bruce Parkhill finally kind of got it going. Which that even then it took multiple years for them to like. This is the A10 in like 1985. So like, and then I think they won in. Like, this is besides the point. But like, this is like I guess contextually. The history of Penn State basketball, it fucking sucks. Excuse my language, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it took, Cut, podcast is over. Oh, boy. It, it took Park, the E-tag on this one. It took Park Hill one, two, three. It took him eight years to get his first tournament team. Like, they made the NIT in 88, 89, and 89, 90, and then they made the tournament in 1991. Like that, like, that is the glory days of Penn State basketball, where they had a stretch with two NIT appearances and one NCAA tournament berth where they were knocked out in the second round. Like that's they, they, did, they did beat UCLA. Though. They did that beat was, UCLA. Yes, that's cool. I was like one years old, but that was pretty cool. <laughs> but yeah, like that's that's what we're dealing with. And despite that, Chad, I'm going to make you kind of play devil's advocate here since we've been doing a lot of the like big picture stuff for why Pat should keep his job. You know, the proof is in the pudding. Like, you need, in a perfect world, you need to be able to back things up with results. And for the most part, like, they lost 10 straight conference games to start this year. For the most part, those results haven't really been there over the course of Chambers' tenure in Happy Valley. Yeah, to be clear, I'm not on this side of the argument, but for sure, um, I'm making you be there. So we have right, right, right. And, so, like, yeah. hold on one sec before Chad goes. Like both things can be true. Like we can talk about this from a big picture, yeah. and also think there's no way in hell they should have started 0 and 10. Like they should have won Correct. a few of those games, and they shouldn't have lost to Bradley, and they shouldn't have lost to DePaul. So like both things can be true before people go, oh, you're making excuses. I mean, it's just this is it's just the facts of like from a big picture standpoint. That's just what it is. Yeah, big picture. Ahead, like, yeah, they lost yeah. to Rutgers at home. Like, right. Yeah, yeah that's that's never excusable ever. Um, so like, I guess the big picture thing is here is like, how much does a coach matter really? Because you see a program like, say for instance TCU, like they hired Jamie Dixon. They're able to hire a coach like Jamie Dixon, and they turn around, you know, almost instantly. They have success right away. So you wonder, like, can this happen at Penn State as well? Um, you know, it's been eight years for Pat. He hasn't been to the tournament once. Um, he was close last year. He'll probably be, I would think, uh, this is my optimism showing again here, but I think he'll be close next year. If Stevens comes back, if these freshmen are back, if Lundy, uh, you know, does show up and is as advertised, um, yeah, I think they'll, they'll have a pretty good shot cause they are, you know, playing like a top, uh, 40 team right now. And they are a top 50 team on Ken Palm. And, um, this is clearly like one of the better teams he's, he's had despite the record. So, um, you know, devil's advocate argument is, can they find somebody maybe not right away have the same success, but like, or have more success, but um, is there somebody out there who's like a magic bullet option to, you know, just kickstart this program and get everything running up, running, you know, on a Jamie Dixon TCU level right away. Cause I mean, 
what he's been doing there is impressive, and it's not he's not the first guy to just show up at the place and you know turn around right away. So, um, so again, the question is how much does coaching really matter when you're a program like Penn State, where the investment's not there, um, the recruiting budget may not be there, comparative uh, with the rest of the conference, and the the budget for hiring a coach to begin with is not necessarily there either. So. Um, you know, it's, it's a, a grass is greener situation here. What's, what's the better option? I, I'm personally in the, ca- in the camp of bring Pat back for next year. Let's see what he can do with uh, senior Lamar Stevens. And I think it's just a better timing to, to let him go than if it doesn't work out next year. Cause I don't, I'm in the position where I don't want to necessarily risk, um, giving up what could be a really good next season for, you know, another restart, another four or five years of waiting when this team, you know, this program really just needs an injection of some kind of success. And next year's probably the best opportunity they'll have for a while to do that. Yeah. I mean, it, I think we can sit here and we could throw out names and we could say, if you were a message board poster for Penn State basketball, Rick uh, Patino. Okay, calm down. But I mean, like Nate Oates is the name that gets thrown. Nate Oates can hold out for any job in college basketball. He's not coming to Penn State. Because this job, for how little we want to admit it, it's more or less career suicide unless you are coming in with the promise from the athletic department that they are going to just pour money into this program. You say that, but you like there's so much evidence that flies in the face of that. Said the Chalice got his dream job at Navy basketball. <laughs> that's fair. I, I apologize for being flippant about that. I uh, mean, like, I mean, that's the, that's the last coach. I mean, it, it's it couldn't be more obvious. Who doesn't want to coach Navy basketball? Yeah, who doesn't love the troops? We we here at uh, Roar this Lions, podcast supports the troops. Yes, exactly. I we, that's our uh, our disclaimer. That's sponsored by the United States Navy. Um, Navy, by the way, this season two ninety one in Ken Palm. Yeah, who wouldn't want to be coach that? That's a destination job for most people, especially the guy who is at Penn State. But yeah, I, you guys know what's happening here, right? Though this is all setting up for them to make the tournament next year, losing the first round. And then Air Force head coach, Patrick Chambers. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah, I like that. Space Force head coach, Patrick Chambers. Pat he, takes, he takes over Space at the Merchant Force? Yeah. No, he takes over at the Merchant Marine Academy. He does just really, uh, really to rub it into how bleak and dire our situation is. I, I, I heard a rumor Coast Guard's going D1, too. Really? Good for them. I, I've always said that it, I think if they put the money behind it, you can win at Coast Guard. So that's a good uh, – Great uh, location. Right great, on the beach. Great location. Great no, Philadelphia uh, no, Coast Guard. Come on. We, we, know, we know where Chambers is going after he's done at Penn State, and he's going to be at Blaze Alexander selling Chrysler's Dodge and Jeeps. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to try and get us back on track for a second, I think the big issue with this is that there are all, it's like when they went with the search to get Pat, or no, you know, a few years into Pat's tenure, it's Shaka Smart. Let's go out, let's go to VCU, let's give him $2.5 million or $3 million and tell him to come. Well, there's a lot more to it than just putting the dollar sign down to get the hot head coaching name who is going to be able to pick from a list of places. If they were to fire Pat, they're probably just getting someone who is in one way or another another version of Pat. Someone who is a recruiter, who is going to be able to build on what 
already is here, who can, who is accepting of the limitations in place. And I like, that's where my skepticism comes in on firing Pat. If you could tell me right now that if they fire Pat Chambers, they're going to be able to go out and get someone like a Nate Oates. Like, yeah, Pat, thanks for everything you've done, but that's the guy I'd rather have. Having said that, I don't know if I want them to hire some random assistant at a good school or some guy who has two or three years of head coaching experience at a random Division I school, has done a nice job there, and then bring him on board. Like, There's no reason to believe that unless Penn State decides to be the school that, uh, you know, d- decides it doesn't want basketball anymore and hires Rick Pitino, I like I don't know who the guy is to go out and get him, and then when you compound that with the fact that if you fire him, then maybe that pushes Lamar Stevens to leave. Any tiny like we all probably agree that Mike Watkins is gone. Any tiny chance of him staying goes out the window. Maybe the freshmen start looking around, looking for a better opportunity. And next year's team they're rolling out on day one is Jamari Wheeler, Myrian Jones, uh, Kyle McCluskey, Trent Buttrick, and John Hara. I'm inclined to say let's keep Pat for one more year. And then like Chad said, make the decision after that year when the younger guys are a little bit more established here, when we know Lamar doesn't have the opportunity to come back, all of that. It's... This is, again, I think this is the weirdest year to have this discussion because if you asked me on January 31st, I was all for pulling the plug and just saying, listen, we'll blow this entire thing up and see what happens. Now I'm willing to do it one more year, but I also wouldn't be surprised, and I'm interested to throw this out to you guys, I wouldn't be surprised, and this isn't based on any reporting or anything I've heard or anything like that, if Sandy Barber decides to say, you know what? It's been a while. It's not working out. If they started Big Ten play with five wins and ended it with ten losses, it's a completely different thing. We'll look at it on the whole. Let's go in a different direction. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if they did that. Well, to be clear on the Pat thing, too, I mean, that his hiring was is a very late in the process, a very weird hire because of the fact that uh, Tichelis left so late. I, I believe it was... It was uh, in June, or June. Ju- June or July, I think, when he left. Um, so they had to kind of scramble for that hire. Didn't really have a full, you know, chance to participate in the coaching carousel um, thing there. So, um, yeah, I, I, I uh, I'm of the opinion that yeah, it's you know, just bring him back from where you kick the can down the road. Um, Dan, you could probably speak to this better since you wrote that article about um, you know, the financial situation Penn State's in, where they have these renovations coming up too, and it, is it fiscally responsible to, to spend money on a coach when you know the basketball program is making money based on the tv contract alone we have with the big 10 yeah i mean um, it's 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 a pool it's not there's right. not a revenue stream that goes specifically to basketball the whole thing gets pulled into the athletic department by design because there's only three maybe four in a given year programs that generate any sort of revenue and and aren't losing money and yeah, they've got these capital campaigns that they're doing right now. They have four or five construction projects uh, around the athletic department um, before they even get to Beaver Stadium, and that you know that's some of the the, the indoor practice facilities, the uh, tennis facility renovation, the uh, natatorium, 
and the uh, Jeffrey Field renovation all come first. Then they have to renovate Beaver Stadium, which just for a comparison, I I outlined, you know, the renovation for Kyle Field at at College Station for Texas A&M was $500 million. And so they need every dollar that they can get to get, you know, get, you know, started with these projects here. They built into that plan that they wouldn't even begin any of the projects until 2019 so they could give themselves a little bit of time to get started with that. You know, they're not going to suddenly siphon off, you know, an extra, you know, four or five million dollars of revenue every year to bring in a more expensive coach. And that you, know, you mentioned sort of the shock of smart range uh, plus a, a, a full staff for that. And you, you're probably going to need to pay more than what, uh, you know, anybody would pay somebody like a shock of smart because it's he went to Texas. He went to Texas, which has a history, which has a you know has facilities which has you know the a lot of the things that Penn State doesn't have for these things you need to overpay for anybody that you're going to get anyway and they don't have the money for that they don't they don't have a reason to spend the money for that right now because there's no guarantee that it's even going to work since nobody's ever tried it before here and yeah maybe maybe five years ago if they'd had some extra money and they didn't have all these big plans uh, you know, might have, they might have gone, hey, maybe this is our one shot to try and do it. But now they have all these plans in here. This is the signature thing that Sandy Barber has. People say, oh, she wants to make her stamp. She wants to make her stamp. She wants to make her stamp with the renovations to these buildings and when what's going to be, you know, long term on this athletic department campus. This big, ambitious project here to, uh, you know, get as many teams, uh, you know, improved in their facilities as possible at once. And the big crown jewel being the renovation of Beaver Stadium. That's what she's staking it on. She's signaled that. That's the thing that she's announced. The basketball program is not the the signature thing for her. And it's frankly, if she lets it be the same thing that's always been, that's not going to be the way that people measure her. They're going to measure her on, you know, how the football program is able to build a sustained winner and possibly a, you know, a a long term solution to the stadium. That's going to be what people are going to remember for uh, what she does with basketball you know, barring a miracle is going to be completely irrelevant to, to what her legacy is. And that's, you know, she's already made that clear. And ironically too, Shaka Smart might be available this off season. Yeah. <laughs> they are well, 16 and 14 and eight, nine in year four for him. Texas, Good Lord. Texas also like made Shaka Smart exponentially less fun. Like, have you ever gone onto the Ken Palm page for? I'm Shaka looking at his, his, his page right now. Yeah. They're three fifteen in, in tempo. What the yeah. hell? They just stopped turning people over. Like they stop doing all the havoc stuff. It's, I mean, is that them or is that him? I, I don't know. I don't. Uh, oh, I Texas think that's basketball ab- enough. But well, I oh, I geez. think it's absolutely like Texas. Like he decided to just get a little bit too concerned. Uh, I, I, well, it happens with a lot of people. I mean, we saw it with James Franklin when he came to Penn State. He didn't do a lot of the stuff he used to do at Vanderbilt, and I think that's mm. always sort of a mutual agreement of you know you were doing some of this wacky stuff, but hey, that was because you know you were clearly less talented, right? You know that you got you your guys, you can sort of. You have to, you know, and, and I think a lot of them, it's the conventional wisdom thing. I mean, that's that's the way most people operate. Uh, you know, we can't all run Philly special in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I might take a, I might take a flyer on a Shaka Smart uh, reclamation project. Yeah, sure. If we get him this year. Sure. sure. Again, Sorry, like, Pat, change my mind. You're get, out. Get, <laughs> give me Shaka Smart. Give me one of those, you know, give me the Nate Oates or if you can convince uh, – What's his name? Mike Young at Wofford to leave there after a billion years, like those sorts of things. But I don't well, want part it. Of, Fran part Dunphy's of the appeal of Shaka Smart would be, yeah. 
Well, part of the appeal of Shaka Smart was, would be, I'm assuming, is uh, we wouldn't have to pay him that much because his buyout would have been so big at Texas. Yeah. So. But also, if you fire Pat, you're probably ending up with like Scott Para or something. So. But do we? I don't think we know. Like we we speculate on candidates, but like when you think of the people of Penn State's hired in recent history, I mean, it was Bruce Parkhill. He leaves his assistant, and then another Bruce Parkhill assistant, and then he leaves, and then they just go, oh. I mean, Pat Chambers was the first of his kind. Pat wants to be here. Well, not even that, but, like, he was the first, like, not a quote-unquote, like, Penn State guy to be brought in, even though he has family who went to Penn State. But, like, like it was, whatever, 20-some-odd years of Bruce Parkhill people, more than that even. And then yeah. all of a sudden you got to branch off a little bit. And then Chambers, I mean, he was – so I – like, Bill, when what you were saying before is you kind of – I don't remember, like, to backtrack. I don't know exactly – I forget exactly what you said, but you were kind of just, like, assuming it was going to be a certain archetype of candidate when I really don't think we know Interesting. what yeah. – who would be interested in Penn State because they've never right. really been open at a time where they're on the coaching carousel. And when they and were – And a new athletic director, Timberley, too. Just going and hiring – Fucking Ed DeCellis. And before that. Yeah. Who who is who's been Sandy's biggest hire so far? At Penn State or in general? Either, she at doesn't Penn State. have like a yeah, quote, exactly. quote, signature hire. Right. Like she hasn't hired anybody. So that's kind of what like like before they went on this run, I'm thinking, oh, Sandy Barber's gonna get to make her hire. Like she hasn't I don't like I mean, forgive me, I don't really follow any other programs besides base or uh, basketball and football. And then, I mean, the other big, like, volleyball, wrestling, like, they have their coaches in place. So I'm sure she's made other hires. I just don't know about them. But, like, I mean, I guess, like, I mean, if somebody wants to – I don't know who she hired at Cal. I don't remember. Like, Mike Montgomery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the least inspiring candidate ever. Is he available? Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, oh, he's like – va- he has – 85 years old. He is 72 and hasn't coached since 2014. That's it. Good for him. I bet he's in. Phil Martelli <laughs> might be available. Phil, yeah, <laughs> might be. I the only like just looking through this, the only hire that I can think of Sandy making was like she had to hire a new men's soccer coach, and she hired a a good candidate, I guess. But like, did she hire the baseball coach? No, he, Rob Cooper. Or was that Joiner? That was Joiner, I think. May God rest his soul. God. <laughs> Shout out uh, Robbie Wine right quick, uh, the oh worst coach in Penn State history in any sport potentially. But True story. He was the first coach to ever just yell at me blatantly for asking a question as like a student reporter. I don't remember what I laundry asked. on the podcast. Love it. Bill O'Brien yeah. was famous for yelling at a student reporter once. Yeah, <laughs> I was there for that. Do you think, right you, think he remembers that yet? I think that was, was that and the uh, – <laughs> You can say whatever you want. Ron Musselman no, a different name in the back-to-back weeks. It was tremendous. Yeah. I, yeah. I will say I think Sandy's been pretty forward-thinking or like yeah. at least patient with her uh, decision so far. Uh, I mean she did not cave any pressure about uh, Franklin in 2016, I guess that was. Yeah. Corey um, Geiger put her on a lot of pressure too. So. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's it's a lot. To Corey deal with that, uh The Geigers. Altoona Mayor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I Sandy she, does. Sheets aficionado. Corey Geiger. 007, baby. Little thing Sorry. to make you smile. 
Very well, inside he's, baseball. He's a nice yeah. man. He is, yes. The, I, the thing with Sandy is, he, to whatever ex- I, I think you have to... I think she gets it, more or less. I think she understands what Penn State basketball is, which is why anytime she's ever asked about Pat, she gives an answer that doesn't seem like it's going to be... It, it seems genuine when she says, I'm a million percent committed to Pat Chambers or whatever it is. Like, Yeah, I mean, she's extended him twice when it's when it's appropriate, I think, so I don't have any reason to distrust her or, or distrust her judgment. Um, you know, and if she does decide to move on, like, I, I get it. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. she's how many years in this, this job? Four or five years, right? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're at the higher. point where they can't, nobody's going to be able to make the case, you know, you didn't give him a, a fair shot, right. you know? So, so they, right. they really can kind of, the worst thing that could be said at, at you know, really at any point of this, you, get, you, you know, is if they, you know, were to have a decent season and they were letting him go and they go like, oh, this seems like kind of an odd time to, to you say mm-hmm. now it was, they've had worse finishes than this, but yeah, I mean, they, they sort of have given him plenty of time to where, you know, they're, they're not going to get any backlash for letting him go. It, it'll just, the whole, the whole thing will then be, you know, what do you do next? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but it's basically a conversation of, I think even if you think Pat needs to go, you can agree with the statement that he has raised the floor here. Like, in its history, again, limited history uh it goes back to 2001 on ken palm penn state has had two years where it has had back-to-back top 50 finishes assuming they finish in the top 50 this year which they're in line to do and that would be 2018 and 2019 and this is also the first ever stretch in program history with three top 100 ken palm finishes 2017 2018 2019 like pat has certainly raised the floor here I just think if you want to fire him, it is because you think that it's raised the floor to the point that it's right up against the ceiling and the ceiling could theoretically be higher. Can it? I'm inclined to say I don't know. But again, I think that one extra year is something that I'd be fine if they give him. It's tough. It's a very bad job. Everyone. Yeah, they, well, you mentioned the idea of you know, uh, a, an up and coming coach who goes to a bigger program and is there for some time, but then, uh, you know, has, has sort of a disappointing, you know, uh, you, you know, moment several years into it. And you, you gave the example of Shaka Smart and certainly that's somebody who could be available, but I'm thinking of, thinking of somebody different. Ooh, who would thinking that be? Somebody, thinking of somebody else who's, you know, coaching for his job. I'm thinking about Brad Stevens. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Well, uh, I think, it would be a, quite the battle between Penn State and Indiana University for him. But uh, listen, right now, I think hey, Penn, Penn State has won that battle exactly one time. Lamar yeah. Stevens, thank you very much. T- Tony Carr also had an offer from them now. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, something like that. Listen, yeah. all I'm saying is if you want to go to a job where you don't have to deal with the NBA's, with college basketball's version of Celtics fans, don't go to Indiana. Come to Penn State instead, Brad. It'd be you know, also fit. available, Dr. John Giannini. I hear rumblings that... He's got a PhD in basketball. You can't turn it down. I hear you know? rumblings of Fran Dunphy is available. Uh, can someone confirm or deny that? I or, said or that like five minutes ago. We moved yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, man. No, you said, uh, you said Phil Martelli. 
That was my second one after I said friend. I said friend. Yes. First. Yeah. Ah, well, apologies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah but also available. Hubie Brown. Hubie oh. Brown. Yeah. <laughs> Te- teach our uh, fine basketball program about the virtues of shooting in the painted area. And also, also the, vir- heard, and the uh, virtues of keeping all your full timeouts for the end of the game. You can use a couple thirties early, but keep your full timeouts. <laughs> I've also heard some uh, rumblings about another candidate. That's right, Ugandan warlord, warlord <laughs> Joseph Tony. Oh, yes. You know, I, 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 I had, I feel like he really, you know, has done some damage to his reputation when he appeared on The Masked Singer. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of a sellout moment, you know. <laughs> He's got a lot of international experience, though. Yeah, some uh, some recruiting. Gra- I he he's great with kids. He'll bring so. in the next Jan Yagla. <laughs> really, that's all this program needs is who's going to be the next Jan Yagla, both as a basketball player and as a poster. Because my man is a fantastic. To- we poster. thought we thought we had it with Serb with Sasha Barovniak, but he, we we. You know, flew a little too close to the sun, I think. Can we do a segment where we just name random Penn State basketball players? Cameron Woodyard. Pete Alexis. Will Liner. Flip Johnson. <laughs> Pat Ackerman. Steve Kirkpatrick. Zach Cooper. Oh, man, that's a deep cut. <laughs> Al- Alan Wisniewski. Matt Glover. Teron <laughs> Bowie. We Nick- saw- oh. We somehow Patrick, Patrick yeah. Ackerman. I sent him ready. Oh, you did. We Shit. somehow went this far without getting Joe Billy, Hampton. O- Billy Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Ott. Joe Hampton the second time. Brandon Hassel. Gino oh. Thorpe. Peyton uh, Banks. And Woodward. How how is Graham doing? Is he still get that whole recruiting class there? That was I think Peyton we Banks, did. Gino Thorpe, Graham Woodward, and. Graham Woodyard. Uh, Wood, well, was it Woodyard or Woodward? Uh, it was Woodward. Okay. No, Woodyard. No, it was Woodward. That was Cam. <laughs> no, it's not. It was Woodyard. I, I, was, a, I was a play-by-play broadcaster. Was Graham Woodward? Woodyard. No, it was Cam Woodyard. Graham Woodyard. If you're Cam listening Woodyard. to this right now, why? Yes, Cam Woodyard. Yeah. Ben Luber. <laughs> ben Luber. <laughs> Graham Woodward. Graham Woodward. Oh, oh, Graham. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little leprechaun-looking guy. <laughs> yeah. He he graduated last year. He hit thirty-seven percent of his threes at Drake. Yes. He was and fine. He, God's plan. God's plan. Yes. Uh, That's the only Drake song I know. <laughs> do you guys remember Terrence Samuel? Of course. Of course. Yeah. That he he hit I think like thirty percent of his threes and he banked in all of them. <laughs> He wasn't as good as Devin Foster, though. Devin Foster was uh, the king of name searching. Do you guys remember when? No, no, you know what? That was Devin Foster I was thinking about when I said that the banking threes thing. Foster was the one who banked in a bunch He airballed a free throw at the Palestra. Do you guys <laughs> Do you guys remember Isaiah Washington? Of course. Who, Dude, he, was, he was a very nice guy. He Trish seemed like a very nice guy, yes. He got well, married. When he was really? Good for him. No, but when he was still at Penn State, he got married. Again, good for him. He was uh, Devin Foster shot forty four percent from three his senior year. Did, did On nobody, probably like I feel like I'm, we attempts. named so many names I might have missed it, but did nobody say Jordan Dickerson? No one said Jordan Dickerson. I was going to say Donovan Jack. No one said John John Graham either. 
Oh my oh. god. My my big idea like senior year was to try to challenge him to a free throw shooting. <laughs> <laughs> and then I decided A it was very mean spirited and B that I would lose. Yes. Yes to both. I watched Ray Allen, uh, his big three in the uh, 2013 NBA Finals. I watched that at Bar Blue with Mr. Farmer Jones and with uh, John Graham. Uh, he's some guy on Twitter. Him and uh, John Graham, after John Graham uh, had earlier in the day announced that he was transferring to Maryland. <laughs> and John Graham was very excited that Ray Allen hit that three. You guys remember when John Graham had like a double double against Penn State the next year? <laughs> of course, the it was moment. the most the most inevitable event ever. <laughs> going up, yeah. he's he's averaging six minutes per game. He's got a, he's got like four points coming into it, and of course he's got a double double coming. So that was that was uh, yeah, written in stone. I I'd like to just uh, perhaps wrap up this conversation by saying David Jackson. DJ, that's not go. a deep cut. Uh, but yeah, he was a kind of a prominent member of uh, of a couple good yeah. teams. At twenty eleven, he, yeah. he had like a very nice fourteen foot baseline jumper. Oh, he did. It was wet. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of like some more of those weird Euro dudes that Ed used to recruit. Who's the oh, uh, guy? Uh, oh, what's his name? Like, Shit, Jonas. Yeah, Jonas Suotamo. They had a couple other guys that too. Had, yeah, didn't, didn't they have a guy named Milos? Milos Sabotic. Bogatech or something. Bogatich, that's right. Bogatich. I was thinking Bogutich. of a center back for Borussia Dortmund. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, oh, there's one other guy. I mean, there's a ton of them that those years with with Ed. Uh, Do you guys remember that huge, like seven foot white guy? Which one? That's not narrow. Like, way back in the day. Like, might have been on the tournament team. Like, oh, uh, Greg Ostertag. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Tyler oh, Smith? No, 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 no. That team, though. Oh, man. He played, like, one minute a game. That was before my time. That was a little <laughs> He was on scholarship. I'm going to find this shit. Hold on. <laughs> How old are you? Hi. Scott Witkowski. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never heard of him. Career average. Uh... Let's see. How do I look at this? Zero point four <laughs> points per game in ninety-two games. He was on scholarship. He was seven foot, two hundred ninety pounds. This entire conversation is why Pat should keep his job. The main you, know, you know who else was on scholarship? Brennan Thrift. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can't mention Brennan Thrift without Nick on the podcast. That he will get mad about that. No, that that was my. I would refuse to type his name with any lowercase letters for his entirety at Penn State, just because I got so excited every time I thought about uh, their two-star JUCO transfer. Well, now he's at WVU doing probably what he did here. So, are there are there any other pros that transferred from Penn State uh, besides Chris Babb, Trey I Lewis? Think- he get a shot in the pros at all? He's in the G League, I think. That counts. Yeah, I, I don't think he like ever signed a ten day or anything like that. But no, yeah, no, he never signed a ten. He's with the Salt Lake City Stars right now. Ross Travis, I guess. Well, he didn't transfer, but you know, transfer a different sport. Shout out Ross. Yeah, 
Yeah, probably a new contract. There's a guy. Yeah. There's our guy. He was shooting like 18% from free throw line at one point, his senior season. And then oh, he Ross Travis one of the worst free throw shooters in his. That's a guy you could have beat in a free throw shooting contest. And that's not even an exaggeration. Oh, yeah. Senior year, uh, 19 to 57, 33.3%. It was, was like good. He had hot streak, too. He, had, he shot 57 free throws despite being a you know top 250 guy in defense. Well, no, top... 350 guy in offensive rebounding percentage. Like, what a what a bad basketball program this is, you guys. Jesus Christ. He had a he had a cool dunk against Iowa in the Big Ten tournament, though. That oh, was yeah, cool. he, he didn't he like baptize Adam Woodbury. I mean, who hasn't? Me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Adam Woodbury is Chef Garner's teammate in the G League. Fun fact. <laughs> I, I like the I like the reference to uh, baptizing Adam Woodbury there for our Ash Wednesday special. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the end. That's yeah. the end. Uh, we, we got there. Do we just uh, to end on one <laughs> plug number two? Uh, Please to, don't fire me. Uh, to end on one uh, serious note, since we're listing a bunch of dudes, uh, shout out always and forever to Jermaine Marshall. Uh, Jermaine was the man, and uh, the fact that they were able to beat Michigan in the first game that they played, or first or second game that they played after he passed away, is like. Legitimately a very cool moment, and uh, yeah, he ruled. So now that we're ending it on a somber note, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Florida Lions Radio. Uh, thank you, uh, Dan and Chad, as always. Coop, thank you for uh, blessing us with seven and a half hours of your time to come on the pod. You got it. Uh, you know the spiel by now. I don't care. Take care, y'all.